You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents network of podcasts. In the late summer of 2001, we here at Harper Audio had the privilege of working with the legendary actors, civil rights activists, and humanitarians, Ruby Dee and Ossie Davis, as they recorded Zora Neale Hurston's Every Tongue Got to Confess, Negro Folk Tales from the Gulf States. The resulting recording was monumental, bringing the hilarious, bittersweet, and often saucy folk tales to life and capturing the heart and soul of the vital, independent, and creative community that so inspired Zora Neale Hurston. Audiophile Magazine praised the recording, saying, This stunning audio production captures the richness of the language as well as the culture behind the stories. Listening to their performances is like listening to the original storytellers sharing lies with friends on a warm summer evening. Here is Ruby Dee reading from the book's introduction written by University of Southern California professor Carla Kaplan, followed by Aussie Davis reading parts of God Tales, Why God Made Adam Last. Enjoy. Hurston sought the most out-of-the-way locations for collecting. Folklore is not as easy to collect as it sounds, she wrote. The best source is where there are the least outside influences, and these people, being usually underprivileged, are the shyest. They are most reluctant at times to reveal that which the soul lives by. Evidently, she cut an unusual figure, a single black woman driving her own car, toting a gun, sometimes passing for a bootlegger, offering prize money for the best stories and lies. It's easy to romanticize Hurston with Model T and pistol, searching out his shy majesty and woofing in jukes along the way. But the truth is, that she worked hard under harsh conditions, traveling in blistering heat, sleeping in her car when colored hotel rooms couldn't be had, defending herself against jealous women, putting up with bed bugs, lack of sanitation, and poor food in some of the turpentine camps, sawmills, and phosphate mines she visited. Hurston's situation was unusual. She was from the Alabama and Florida regions where she traveled, but her New York education and Columbia University pedigree made her seem like an outsider. She was committed to the systematic study of folklore as an academic enterprise, but before any American university had yet to create such a department or program. Hurston's Harlem Renaissance art circles were steeped in notions of race propaganda, contesting white racism by showing black culture at its best that is, most middle class. But the bawdy stories Hurston collected from sawmills, small towns, dance halls, and turpentine camps were hardly what the talented tenth had in mind. Her unwavering commitment to a relatively unfamiliar folklore aesthetic 
may help account for the sharply negative reviews she received from black peers like Richard Wright, who accused her of pandering to white audiences, or Elaine Locke, who eventually charged her with oversimplification. Most unusual in Hurston's situation was her funding. At the end of 1927, she signed a contract with a wealthy white New York patron, Charlotte Osgood Mason, an eccentric, demanding woman who had supported Langston Hughes, Aaron Douglas, Alain Locke, and others, but who also thought nothing of directing their creativity as a self-appointed empress of art. Encouraged by Locke, Mason promised to support Hurston's folklore collecting to the tune of $200 a month. For her part, Hurston saw Mason as someone who understood the importance of recording the Negro fathers down, and she insisted that she and Mason shared a psychic bond, but their arrangement proved profoundly constricting. In the view of Hurston's biographer, Mason was both soulmate and meddling patron, whereas Boaz's cultural relativism sought to overturn the premises upon which other cultures were devalued. Mason was every bit the primitivist, convinced that African Americans were emotionally and aesthetically superior to whites, but inferior in other ways. Louise Thompson, among others, viewed Mason's largesse as a way of indulging her fantasies of Negroes. The terms of the Hurston-Mason contract obliged Hurston to act as Mason's agent by collecting for Mason all information possible, both written and oral, concerning the music, poetry, folklore, literature, hoodoo, conjure, manifestations of art, and kindred subjects relating to and existing among the North American Negroes. Hurston's charge was to return and lay before Mason all of said information, data, transcripts of music, etc., which she shall have obtained. Hurston was not even allowed to make known to any other person except one designated in writing by said first party any of said data or information. This meant that while Hurston had her idea of African-American folklore, she had to answer to two outside powers with different ideas, one of whom sought control over every word she wrote. Indeed, while Mason reportedly kept her copy of the manuscript Hurston called Negro Folk Tales from the Gulf States in her safe deposit box, Hurston surreptitiously circulated others, possibly different ones, to Langston Hughes, Dorothy West, Helene Johnson, and Franz Boas. Mason did eventually press publication of the stories, but only in her own edited version. She says the dirty words must be toned down. Of course, I knew that. But first, I wanted to collect them as they are, Hurston told Hughes. At the same time as she was juggling Mason's expurgations, Hurston also was trying to meet Boaz's exacting standards for precise transcription. She wrote, About the material I have been collecting, it is decided that the story shall be one volume. I have tried to be as exact as possible, keeping to the exact dialect as closely as I could, having the storyteller to tell it to me word for word as I write it. 
This after it has been told to me offhand until I know it myself. But the writing down from the lips is to ensure the correct dialect and wording so that I shall not let myself creep in unconsciously. Now, in the stories, I have omitted all Pat and Mike stories. It is obvious that these are not Negroid, but very casual borrowings. The same goes for the Jewish and Italian stories. Boaz encouraged scientific, uncensored publication. Yet, ironically, he also wanted Hurston to contextualize the stories and provide a sense of the intimate setting in the social life of the Negro, as he put it in his preface to Mules and Men, where he praised Hurston for providing the reader with the charm of a lovable personality. Apparently, what Hurston wanted was a volume of folklore that would stand on its own without interference, interpretation, anthropological voiceover, or her own personal charm. I am leaving the story material almost untouched. I have only tampered with it where the storyteller was not clear. I know it is going to read different, but that is the glory of the thing, don't you think? She wrote Langston Hughes. We cannot know exactly what stopped publication of the stories in 1929 when Mason first pressed ahead. Maybe she intervened. Maybe Boaz did. Maybe publishers were the problem. According to Hemingway, Hurston's publishers demanded something more than the mere transcription of collected tales. Whatever the reason, the volume Hurston hoped for was scrapped. This is its first publication. God Tales, Why God Made Adam Last. God was through making the land and the sea and the birds and the animals and the fishes and the trees before he made man. He was intended to make him all along, but he put it off to the last, cause if he had a made Adam first and let him see him making all these other things, when Eve was made, Adam would have stood around bragging to her. He would have said, Eve, do you see that old striped tag over there? I made him too. See that old narrow giraffe over there? I made him too. See that big old tree over there? I made that just so you could sit under it. God knowed all that, so he just waited till everything was finished before he made man, cause he knows a man will lie and brag on himself to a woman. Man ain't found out yet how things was made. He ain't meant to know. James Presley. When God first put folks on earth, there was no difference between men and women. They was all alike. They did the same work and everything. The man got tired and fussing about who gonna do this? Who gonna do that? So he went up to God and asked him to give him power over the woman so he could rule her and stop all that arguing. He asked him to give him a little more strength and he'd do the heavy work and let the woman just take orders from him what to do. He told him he wouldn't mind doing the heavy work if he could just 
boss the job. So the Lord done all he asked him, and he went on back home. And right off, he started to boss the woman around. So the woman didn't like that at all. So she went up to God and asked him, how come he give man all the power and didn't leave her none? So he told her, you never asked me for none. I thought you were satisfied. She says, well, I ain't. But the man bossed me around like he took to doing since you give him all the power. I want half of his power. Take it away and give it to me. The Lord shook his head. He told her, I never takes nothing back after I done give it out. It's too bad since you don't like it, but you should have come up with him. Then I would have divided it half and half. The woman was so mad she left there spitting like a cat. She went straight to the devil. He told her, I'll tell you what to do. You go right back up to God and ask him to give you that bunch of keys hanging by the manor shelf. Then bring them here to me, and I'll tell you what to do with them. And you can have more power than the man. So she did, and God gave them to her without a word, and she took them back to the devil. There was three keys on that ring. So the devil told her what they was. One was the key to the bedroom, and one was the key to the cradle, and the other was the kitchen key. He told her not to go home and start no fuss. Just take the keys and lock up everything and wait till the man come in, and she could have her way. So she did. The man tried to act stubborn at first, but he couldn't get no peace in the bed and nothing to eat and he couldn't make no generations to follow him unless he uses his power to suit the woman. It wasn't doing him no good to have the power cause she wouldn't let him use it like he wanted to. So he tried to dicker with her. He said he'd give her half the power if she'd let him keep the keys half the time. The devil popped right up and told her, no, just keep what you got and let him keep what he got. So the man went back up to God, but he told him just like he'd done the woman. So he asked God just to give him part the keys to the cradle so he could know and be sure who was the father of children. But God shook his head and told him, you have to ask the woman and take her word. She got the keys and I never take back what I give out. So the man come on back and done like the woman told him for the sake of peace in the bed. And that's how come woman got the power over men's today. Old man Drummond. God done pretty good when he made man, but he could have made us a lot more convenient. For instance, we only got eyes in the front of our heads. We need some in the back too, so nothing can slip up on us. Another things, it would be handy too if we had one right on the end of our dog finger. Then we could just point that eye any which way. Another thing, our mouths ought to be on the top of our heads instead of right in front. Then when I'm late to work, I could just throw my breakfast in my hat and put my hat on my head and eat my breakfast as I go to work. Now ain't that reasonable, miss? Besides, mouths ain't so pretty know-how. George Brown. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and this episode was edited by Sharon Matlin with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents, and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.